Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. You know, it's my first time finding people freestyle rap in a different country. So I tried to jump in the cipher. I was like, oh, how hard this could this be in Portuguese? And then I just sucked. And people are looking at me like, yo, dude, what the fuck are you doing coming in here with that weak ass, <laughs> weak ass rhymes? So then I went back and I was like, all right, I got to get this going. So I started writing my own raps for the first time in Portuguese and like trying to get like, you know, teach myself the basics and get good. And then I came back in there and I'd freestyle with them again. My weekly ritual was coming out there and really cool community, very conscious. And that's what I found when I go, at least in Latin America, the hip hop communities there are like way more conscious. The freestyle culture is way more pure. And, and once again, it also helped my language. Because the thing is, when you're trying to freestyle in a language and like push your mind to the limit, it's hard to speak the language as it is. You try to freestyle, your brain's just like taxed. But then you come out of it and I'd be speaking Portuguese to people. And it was just like, oh, wow, it's way easier to speak Portuguese than to rap in it. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Idausa Ness. He is a location independent entrepreneur, world traveler, polyglot, and the founder of The Mimic Method, which teaches foreign language learning by ear. The Mimic Method uses musical techniques and freestyle rapping to teach pronunciation and conversation so you can listen clearly and speak with confidence. As a lifelong musician, Idausa decided to apply the best techniques for ear training to language learning and now speaks seven languages fluently, Spanish, French, Portuguese, German, Mandarin, Chinese, Italian, and English, in which we'll be conducting this interview today. He is able to speak those languages with precise regional accents, and he is often mistaken for a local. Using the mimic method, he has taught thousands of people to speak 10 different languages. Idausa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. So glad to have you here, my man. Let's just set the scene for this interview in terms of where we are recording this from. We're not in person today, unfortunately. I am actually on the East Coast of the United States in Asheville, North Carolina. And where are you? I am in the southern part of Portugal in a small town on a castled hill called uh, Silvish. That is amazing, man. I love Portugal. It's one of my favorite countries. I've actually spent a number of months in Lisbon, but I've actually not been down to the Algarve. So I've uh, just heard incredibly beautiful things. Do you want to share a little bit about that region and how it's been for you to be there? 
Yeah, I spent a lot of time here in Portugal in general, especially the past few years. Also mostly in Lisbon, but Algarve, I have family here. My brother just moved here. Very beautiful, bluest sky on the planet. I don't understand the science of it, but it's just like ridiculously deep blue. And yeah, it's beach, beautiful beaches. It's really beautiful terrain. You know, and a good thing about European beaches too is that like the sun doesn't set until seven or whatever. And it's just, it's just nice. It's kind of like what I, when I think about Portugal, especially this region of Portugal, the word that comes to mind, like the Portuguese word is qualidade da vida, or like quality of life. Like they've like mastered the art of sitting on the beach, having a nice wine and eating like a sardine and looking off into the sunset. It's really nice and pleasant. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Portugal is so lovely. And I agree, man. The The wine at sunset is quite spectacular. I actually think Portuguese wines are some of the most underrated wines in all of Europe. They're really spectacular for anybody that hasn't tried them, but always looking forward to going back to Portugal. But let's take it back now a little bit. I would love to hear a little bit about your backstory. Can you talk about where you grew up and as you were growing up, the role of music in your life? Yeah, sure. I'm born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And great parents, great family. I had lots of friends, but I always wanted to get out, always wanted to leave. So, uh, you know, Harrisburg has a special role for me in that it really inspired me to travel <laughs> in a kind of ironic way. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of music, my mom put me on a violin on the Suzuki violin method when I was five. And I had to practice every day. So on one sense, I'm, I'm practicing classical music. My dad was always a big fan of classical music. So I always had that kind of blaring through the speakers of my house growing up since I was a baby. But at the same time, you know, me and my homies were really into hip hop music. I remember we got like a compact Presario in like 1997 or whatever. And I could like record and burn CDs on it. And we'd get like instrumentals. So my friends would come over to my house and we'd do like lots of freestyle rapping. Uh, so between those two things, like, Freestyle rapping and the kind of linguistic component, wordplay, humor, rhyme on one end, but then also kind of like deep classical training. I was, it was pretty intense. I was performing at the state symphony and like talent shows and whatnot on the violin, like Bach partitas and Mozart concertos, all that stuff. So it was a really special mix that I'm very grateful for because it all kind of came together for me as I grew up and developed my career. That's amazing, man. And you mentioned it was in the 90s, which, of course, is the golden era of hip hop. I was yeah, actually sure. a hip hop DJ in the 90s through high school and college. And man, I just feel so fortunate that those happened to be the years when I was spinning hip hop because, man, that's a really, really special time. So from that, though, you also mentioned that your interest in travel developed. Can you talk a little bit about your travel journey, both your desire to travel and then your travel experiences, how they came about initially? Sure. Well, I'm multicultural. My dad's from Pennsylvania. My mom is from Nigeria and she's very family oriented. So we have lots of you know uncles and cousins visiting. And my best friend was also Nigerian. So we're plugged into the Nigerian American community as well. And uh, so just in general, I've always just been exposed to at least, you know, West African culture. We have like art in our house and whatnot. And then also once a year, we go on a family trip somewhere like you know, France or the Caribbean or whatever. And I always look forward to that. So just being in Harrisburg, there's nothing very unique about, you know, it's just a good kind of suburban area that I was living in. So I was always just kind of really intrigued by the exotic and was looking forward to our next vacation. And then come back to Harrisburg and it's just like, you know, Walmart, McDonald's and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, once again, I'm very grateful for where I came from. But just as a kid, I was just bored. Like, I, was like oh, I can't wait till I go to college and get out of here. So it was always in my head to travel as soon as I became an adult and I had like the freedom to do so. I was very autonomy hungry. 
So when I was 17, I went to Mexico. My dad's a university professor and we can do school programs at his school for free. So he had found a summer program for like high school kids to go to Mexico for three weeks. So that was my first time kind of being unchaperoned in a foreign country. And that kind of was the beginning of travel addiction. And like really at the time to be straight up, like I was what, 16, 17 and singular preoccupation of my life with girls. And I was not the singular preoccupation of the girls in Harrisburg. <laughs> and I just remember going to Mexico and I was like, oh, wow, Mexico, like Latina. And, stuff. and then I'll never forget too, because it was a great kind of changing moment for me where I was walking down the street in Querétaro, Mexico. And then and all the girls were just like looking at me and I'm like, what's going on here? And then I realized it just hit me. I was like, oh, wait, I'm exotic here. <laughs> that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Well, you mentioned that you're half Nigerian. I just went to Nigeria. I spent about a month in Lagos for the first time in 2019. No way. <laughs> oh, man, what a spectacular. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Nigerians are such spectacular people, man. Have you spent much time in Nigeria? And if so, how's your experience been there? I have not spent a lot of time there. I went twice in my life, once as a child and another time when I was uh, like maybe 14. I was in Lagos. My uncle used to live there. And our hometown's Benin City in the South. And I really want to go as an adult. I was actually planning on going this year in 2020 until the COVID stuff happened. But my experience there is really limited to just hanging out with all my cousins and family, like inside of compounds when I'm 14. Like, you know, they weren't going to like let me roam the streets of like Lagos <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very experienced with Nigerians in terms of like my family. And also we have family around like in UK and other places, but it's still on my list to really go down the ground and familiarize myself with the, with the country. And, you know, I, I can understand pigeon English and I can mimic it, speak it a bit. I want to get really good at pigeon. And by that, I mean like, I want to be like on the streets hustling people. <laughs> or, like, more, and, like getting hustled myself. Like, that's my main fear. Like, I'm not trying to go back to my home country and get hustled. So like, I'm like, eh, but I'm trying to toughen up. I'm too soft, man. America made me soft. <laughs> that's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about your love for language learning and how that developed and how you applied these musical techniques to language learning. Like what was the evolution of that? I guess your first decision that you really wanted to seriously learn these languages. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I always tell people in my programs, you know, kind of a dramatic effect, look people in the eye like, listen, I don't give a fuck about languages. It's a dramatic effect. I was saying, And then they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, I care about people. And it just so happens to be that language is one of our primary tools for connecting with people. So I always start from that. So for me, I went to Mexico that first time. I had mentioned already, I went on that program that my dad had, fell in love with the country, and then figured out a way I can come back. I figured out a way I can graduate from my high school earlier and spent my last semester of high school at a homestay in Guadalajara, Mexico. So while I was there, I'm trying to learn Spanish. And I'm doing like everybody else. I wasn't like particularly good or bad at Spanish in school. You know, I was just doing like everybody else. But I got there. I was able to kind of read and write okay, but I was not able to understand anybody, nor was I able to really express myself and my personality. And I remember it was really bothering me. I had a homestay family and, um, you know, I had like homestay brothers and, you know, they had to take me out and stuff, but I couldn't really contribute to conversation. I was like their dopey, like American friend. They had to pull along on a leash and stuff. And just feeling really isolated and separated from the population because I wasn't able to communicate Spanish. So one day 
whatever. I'm not sure what kind of led to this inspiration, but I was like, you know what? If I'm going to suck at Spanish, I might as well like just make it sound good. So instead of me saying these Spanish words the way I normally do, let me like really try to sound like a Mexican, right? I'd imagine like Antonio Banderas. I'm like, how would he order these tacos here? And I'd be like, puedo tener más guacamole con mis tacos, por favor, you know? And like, uh, <laughs> like really deliver it. And just having fun with it too, you know, and impersonating things. And as I started to take that more seriously, I'm, you know, I try to make an impersonation. I'd be like, ah, this isn't, I'm kind of off. Like, what's going on here? Listen even closer. Like, oh, his tongue's a little bit here. You know, which I, and then anyways, once again, I'm not really focusing on learning grammar or vocabulary. I'm just trying to sound good. And then one day I just kind of wake up and I'm understanding people. Actually, funny enough, I remember the moment, the first time I ever understood a second language, me and my two other buddies, you know, a couple of, you know, you know, idiots kind of walking around Mexico city in the middle of the night, just wait, waiting to get like kidnapped or something. And then these cops come and pull us over. And I just got done watching that movie, uh, traffic with like Benicio del Toro. And like, I'm like, Oh shit, these cops got us. Anyways, the guy comes and he's like, all right, which one of you idiots speaks the most Spanish? Right. And then they pointed at me and he's like, all right, listen to every single thing I'm going to say to you right now. And then he's like, blah, blah. and then I'm just listening. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, I know what this guy's saying. I understand Spanish. I remember that. That was the first time I understood. And it came as a result of me doing that work. Once again, I wasn't really focusing that much anymore on vocab and grammar. I was just really trying to sound like uh, Spanish people. So that was me learning Spanish. And I came back and like I was getting close to my host family. I got like a Mexican girlfriend that was really integrating into the culture, into the community and Guadalajara and traveled around, met people and stuff. So that experience of just coming to a place and being completely alien looking at these people they're completely alien to me i'm alien to them but through paying attention really trying to connect and relate this kind of slow and gradual process of going from foreign to familiar being with the people singing with them dancing with them i just fell in love with that process afterwards i was fluent in spanish and i was going to university i had to choose another language my brother was in china at the time he's like oh learn chinese so I did it again with Chinese, did it again after that with Portuguese. And yeah, once again, for me, it's all about just that experience of showing up to a place, having no idea what's going on, and then just kind of fumbling around and looking and paying attention and trying things out, imitating, flowing, singing, dancing. And then one day you wake up and you're just like, oh yeah, like I'm part of the family. You know, I'm like, I'm one of the homies. And that's what I do it for. That's absolutely amazing, man. And then once you were able to do that, how did you then distill that into a teachable method that other people can replicate? How did the mimic method itself develop? Sure. So I kind of, you know, developed in these like stages. I told you in Mexico, you know, I was doing like everybody else, just like learning vocabulary and grammar and then put that aside and started to focus on impersonation, imitation, right? And I went to China, took that even more seriously, right? In Chinese, you have these like tones. You have to get the intonation just perfectly right. So I would just go really deep and just listening to audio. I'm like, ma, ma. And like, you know, just really perfectionist on the pronunciation. And then once again, I got to study abroad in Beijing and then Shanghai after that. And watching people, you know, in Spanish, if you don't have a good accent, people will still understand you. But in Chinese, if you don't, have the accent and the tones correctly, people have no idea what you're talking about. Or even worse, there's a famous joke for Chinese where a foreigner walks into a restaurant and tries to order some dumplings, right? And uh, he tells the waitress, 
right? And the thing is, the word for dumplings is shui jiao. But the word for like sleeping, like to sleep with you, is shui jiao, right? It's just a difference in tone. So then we just like smacks him in the face, right? So I remember going around in Mexico, I was like, dude, why do these people speak in Spanish with this hard accent? I guess they just, you know, they're kind of too shy or embarrassed to try to sound like a Mexican, whatever. But in China, you should know, you just can't get away with that. Yet people were still struggling with the accent. So with my friends, I was trying to help them out. And then also in China, you have to learn the written language, right? And these characters are like super complicated, lots of different strokes and whatnot. And I went to this program in Beijing that was like super intense. You have to study for six hours a day. And, you know, no, it's, you can't speak any English. It will kill you, your family. Like it was like really intense and stuff. And I, I was like attracted to that when I first did it. But I got to China a month earlier because my brother was there with his now wife. And he put me into jujitsu. He had even a jujitsu academy as an American dude. With, had like a, he's a black belt, had a jujitsu academy. So I was there in China for a month during the summer, no schooling. And all I did was just kind of train jujitsu. Hey, try to like talk to random Chinese people on the street. And I got really good, really decent speaking. Then I started this program. And then I spent all my day in the library, like copying characters and trying to memorize these things. And then I found out that the grades in the program didn't affect my grades back at my university. So then one day it just kind of hit me. I'm like, all right, I can waste all my time learning how to write poetry in Chinese, which I'm never going to do. Or I can go back out into the streets, you know, and just class just live the life, you know, live in Chinese, right? And I'm going to fail this program, but who cares? So at the end of that program, I ended up being like the worst student. I had the lowest grade in the whole class, but it was obvious and unanimous among all the teachers, all the students that I was by far the best at Chinese in terms of oral proficiency and spoken conversation. So then that taught me like, ah, okay, the way we're doing this is wrong. We're focusing on the wrong things, right? We're focusing on writing and grammar and theory and memorization at the expense of actually living. Like I told you before, I don't care about language. I care about people, right? And most language learners don't even talk to people, right? They're talking to their smartphones. It's ridiculous, right? It's like learning jujitsu on your smartphone. So that really opened me up in terms of being like, huh, we're really doing this wrong. And I started kind of reading more about linguistics and all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, I'm getting deeper into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I didn't even know what Brazil was. I saw the movie City of God at one point. I remember the feeling of seeing these people who look like me, but they're like speaking this thing that's kind of like Spanish, but it's not Spanish. But no one ever told me about Ada stuff. I was like, I was like, what's... And the music was just amazing. I was like, what? How do I not know about this place? Just this burning curiosity and, de- and desire to know Brazil was being cultivated in me. And I had to come to the conclusion while I was in China, actually, that like, yo, after I, as soon as I graduate university... I'm going to go live in Brazil. I don't, you know, I don't care about getting a job or going to grad school right now. I have to know what's happening in Brazil right now because I can't die without knowing this, right? So I started working a bunch of random jobs, security guards, cashiers and stuff like that, and saving up money to go to Brazil after university. And that's where like, the mimic method was truly born. I got there. And really, my mission in going there was that all the other times I had traveled, it had been under a program, right? Like a study abroad program or my parents paying for this or whatever. And I wanted to prove to myself that I'd be able to thrive in an environment with zero previous support. So I didn't know anybody. I went to Rio. I didn't know anybody in Rio. I didn't have any program to kind of plug me in or whatever. I just found some dude and his girlfriend on couch surfing. I was like, all right, spend like five days on your couch while I figure out how to find an apartment, right? Yeah, that's what I did. So in Brazil, I went there and I was like, I only want to learn Portuguese. 
learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and learn Brazilian music because I just love the music. While I was in Brazil doing those three things, I learned, I had known by that point that pronunciation was the key to learning a foreign language. And I had also figured out that like, oh, you can really practice pronunciation in music because you can repeat the songs over and over again, you know, at the same time connect to the culture. And I was really connected to Brazilian musical culture. So that's what I did. I knew it was close enough to Spanish. I had to get the pronunciation right. Learned a bunch of Brazilian songs and just showed up there. And I know you've been to Rio. It's one of the friendliest places on the planet. So lots of opportunities to talk to random people in the street and play with them, dance with them. And uh, within uh, three weeks of being in Brazil, I remember this dude had asked me, and I think I look super Brazilian, right? I look super Brazilian. People would literally stop me in the street. Foreigners would be like, stop me. I'd be like on the beach practicing like some Brazilian instrument, like doing cartwheels. Like, <laughs> and, like my, I had a big Afro back then too. And like people from like freaking Serbia would come up. Hey, excuse me, do you speak English? And I'd be like, yeah, little bit. It's like, can we take a photo with you? A real life Brazilian. I'm like, oh yeah, welcome to Brazil. <laughs> I used to mess with mad foreigners. It was, that was mad fun. I was, I was a big troll back then. Anyways, that whole experience was all kind of coming together. I was learning about jujitsu and the movement and how do you train movement. I joined like this giant kind of like a Shkola de Samba, like a Samba school type drum band and was like learning their songs, learning how to play their percussion instruments. But at first I couldn't learn it because it wasn't the same style as I was used to back in like, you know, kind of American funk kind of hip hop stuff. And it was frustrating me because I, I had like a pride around my musical ability. So I, cook, I came and I broke down all of the music systematically. I was like, what are you doing? I, I, I made a system up for myself to teach myself the rhythm of this Afro-Brazilian percussion and then learned it quickly after I figured out to unlock the cheat code. And anyways, all this comes together one day. I'm just kind of like riding the bus and I just have like this, this crazy like epiphany moment where like every single, it was like a movie where like all these scenes from my childhood, violin lessons, and learning Chinese in the streets. Like, and I was like, oh, I get it. I understand why people don't learn languages and it's because they can't do the pronunciation and the pronunciation is just the physical movement of your mouth, the articulation of your mouth to create sounds. And the only thing that you and I are doing right now physically is moving our mouth to create sounds, right? And no one teaches people how to move their mouth to create sounds, but we already know how to teach people how to do fine motor articulation to create sound. That's what music is, right? It's with your fingers, like playing piano or playing your hands, playing drums or whatever. So if you take those same principles of how do you train fine motor articulation, like playing violin or playing piano, and then you treat your tongue and your lips and the different parts of your mouth the same way you treat your fingers, then you can teach anyone how to do that, right? And that was the epiphany. I like ran home, started scribbling out these different notes, went out into the street, and then I would grab random Brazilians off the street and I would teach them a song in English, but I wouldn't teach them the words or anything. I would teach it to them just pure musically, teach them, show them how to move their mouth, build it up bit by bit. And then after 15 minutes, I had these Brazilians like sing with a perfect English accent. And then I'd find like random foreigners from like, you know, US and France and stuff, and then teach them like a Brazilian song. They're singing it with a perfect accent. And I remember actually too, I was like, it's like 2022 or something like that. The theory just worked. I proved it right there. Like all these people in the street, and then I was like, I threw my hands up in the air. I'm like, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> it took a long time before I made any money after that. But that was the kind of birth of the core idea and the technique. So then from there, I've always been kind of like technologically inclined. So I figured out how to kind of transpose that experience I was doing with people 
in the streets and like in, in live person, how to put that in an online experience. And I came out a little bit later with my first course called The Flow of Spanish, where I took Spanish songs, including like this reggaeton song from Daddy Yankee as like the final boss. And I broke it down for you syllable by syllable, taught you the rhythm piece by piece, like little chunks, just like a musical thing. And then by the end of it, people were just singing and rapping in Spanish and therefore moving their mouth the same way a Spanish person would, which then would allow them to all of a sudden understand and hear fast Spanish. And then words will enter your mind more naturally and then you can produce it. And then you find yourself the same way I was in Mexico talking to that cop. The Spanish is just flowing into you and flowing out of you. That was the genesis of the whole kind of philosophy and the business. That's amazing. And then you did a specific course on how to freestyle rap in foreign languages to improve your fluency. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So like I said, when I was a kid, I used to always freestyle rap with my friends. And I just love that process. Like It really is for me like my favorite activity, especially with friends, especially with people who really know each other. And one of the major, there's a lot of challenges that a language learner has to get through. We already discussed one, like just the physical pronunciation is one, but that's not the only one. It's also the ability to spontaneously express yourself in a very short period of time, right? Like right now I'm speaking to you. I can't just like sit here and think for like 15 minutes for the next word I'm going to say, right? Right now I'm freestyling to you and you're freestyling to me. So we're always freestyling. And freestyle rapping is the only difference is you're adding a little bit more constraint in the case of if you have a beat on, being able to do it to the beat and have the rhythmicality lineup, but then also the rhyming piece. So it seems very challenging to people. But a couple of years ago, thinking about it, I had come up with a technique to get anybody to freestyle, even if they've never done it before, within a couple of minutes in their first language. So then I started making a course for people to do it in, in any language, in any foreign language. And not only is it super fun and like people are super impressed that they're able to do it, but what you're practicing is you're practicing your ability to kind of shut off the overcritical part of your mind that's telling you like, oh, you can't say that, it's too stupid, blah, blah, blah. And just like let the creative expressive part of you just put it out there and just put something out there. It doesn't matter right? And it's really programming on a deep level in your mind and your psychology to be more creative, more expressive, more self-forgiving and whatnot. So it's a really fun course. I call it the five days of flow and we break it down the rhythm, rhyme, and reason as I demonstrate to you how rhythm shows up in language. We explain how rhyme works and you practice the same kind of rhyming words in general. Reason, storytelling, understanding what the basic elements of meaning are and how to express yourself without being so perfectionist about grammar and whatnot, but getting the core story elements on so any human being can understand you. Yeah, you do those things. And then by the end of it, you just kind of put it all together into this technique, start off slow. And if you stay with it very quickly, all of a sudden you're like, hey, yo, my problems is sick. Hola, como esta? You know, <laughs> so like people, people love it. We got people of all ages, all ethnicities, just rapping in all languages and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, the only thing I love more than freestyling is getting other people to freestyle. <laughs> it's such a glorious thing, especially people who are very shy and don't really think they have it in them to do it. And just to create an experience where they can see their infinite creative spirit in themselves. They didn't even know it was there. It's very powerful. That's amazing. Would you be willing to do a foreign language 
freestyle on the Maverick show? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yo, check it. Uh, yo, 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 check it. Yo. He said he wanted me to freestyle in multiple languages and still I feeling kind of sanguine in this moment spent all day with my cousin. We chilling, running around to the bank, getting carts in quartera. Portuguese, eu quero, queria falar com as marinheiras, porque elas estão muito bonitas. Estamos aqui pensando em português. Oui, 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 je sais, mais non, je peux parler en français pour les gens que me entendre. Mais je suis chanté, mon son, sing along if you understand all this group with my friends. Also, das ist sehr cool, wenn ich mit meinen Leuten auf die Blick, yes, ich bin sick, ich bin die man, so slick, wait, what else do I get? Right now, oh, can you go? That's what I got. <laughs> That's amazing, bro. That is absolutely incredible, brother. I appreciate you spitting that for the Maverick Show audience. We got a lot of hip hop fans that listen to the show. So that was absolutely incredible. And you've got more videos on your YouTube channel that I was checking out of you spitting hip hop as well as other songs, other types of music uh, on your YouTube, which is totally incredible. And I was watching one of your videos and you were spitting in Colombian Spanish. And I looked at the comments. And it's all of these Colombians saying, I can't believe how perfect your accent is and how you retain such a precisely perfect Colombian accent through all of the singing and rapping and everything else. And so it's really, really impressive. I mean, for people that aren't familiar with the specificity of the regional accents and stuff like that, I mean, you can look at the comments on your YouTube from the locals and it is really quite something, man. So let me ask you this now. So if somebody wants to use the mimic method to learn a language, they're starting from scratch. What are sort of the progressive steps from scratch to fluency? How long does that take? And what are sort of the biggest leverage points in accelerating that language learning process using the mimic method? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So let's take three questions there. How long does it take? What's the stages and what are the kind of leveraging points? One thing I always encourage people to think is that one, a very common question is how long does it take? And it's actually less a question of length and more of a question of depth, right? And it's like, how deep are you immersing yourself in the flow of the language? So here's what I mean by that. And it gets to the stages. Actually, right now I'm coaching my brother and his wife. They just moved to Portugal on Portuguese. And the very first thing I did with them is I taught them how to use their mouth, right? So if you wanted to learn how to play piano, what would you do? You sit down with your piano teacher and then you'd use your eyes to look at the fingers of your piano teacher and how she's moving it. And then you would then mimic, imitate, emulate those movements in your own fingers, right? This is the essence of human learning. So we, we, you know, monkey see, monkey do. The problem is the monkey can't see inside of other people's mouths. And that's what makes pronunciation so mysterious to people. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't figure out what's going on in there, right? So I have this process of kind of shining a light inside the mouth, both literally and you know metaphorically, and developing a mental picture inside the mind. And I can give you a quick example of that right now, just to, so it makes sense. If you just kind of make this sound right here, e e, all right. Now make this sound, ooh. Ooh. Now alternate between those two. Ooh, ee, ooh, ee, ooh, ee. 
Ooh, ooh, All right, great. Now, this is the first thing, Tai Chi. See if you can try to move your tongue back and forth between those positions without moving your lips. You can put your hand to your lips to make sure it doesn't move. So it sounds like this. Try that. You feel your lips moving at all? Yeah, a little bit. I'm trying to not move them, though. Yeah, exactly. So if you if you kept with that for a day, your brain would get the get the memo, and it would be able to decouple the lip and the tongue movement, right? Because all these things are happening unconsciously. So we bring all this to your conscious awareness, right? Now, if you just get your tongue moving, and you won't be able to do that now, but assuming you can, if you move your tongue from the e to the u position, try to notice how your tongue is moving backwards towards your throat. You. Try that. You. Yep. Yeah, right? So if I had asked you before, like, yo, move your tongue back, you'd be like, oh, right? Right? Because it doesn't, didn't really make any sense to you. But now you have some sort of proprioception, you know, awareness of your tongue position in your mouth and all that stuff. So that's just the beginning. So very quickly, I bring you up to speed. And the same way I can tell you to put your hand up in front of your head and move it to the right, move it down and spread your fingers and give you these commands that you can move your hands. The first part of the training is being able to move your mouth with that same level of awareness and control because your mouth is the instrument with which you're playing the music of language on, right? Right. That's step one. Now, once you have some basic awareness of your instrument, step two is knowing how to play the notes of the specific genre, which, which is the language. So, you know, my brother and his, his wife are learning um, Portuguese right now. So then, you know, we're like, okay, there's 54 distinct sounds or physical movements to make with the mouth in Portuguese. Everything that you would ever say here in European Portuguese can be broken down into some sequence of these movements. Half of them you will already know because they overlap with English, but the other half are either completely different or slightly distinct in a way that you need to know, right? So we fine tune. And this brings back to when I was learning violin as a kid, that's what we did, especially the first few years, just fine-tuning your finger placement so you can get the note in tune. Here, we're just fine-tuning your tongue placement so you can really get a good pronunciation, right? So let's give example. People learning Spanish, one of the most common mispronunciation errors is instead of saying a straight-up E vowel like we did in a word like diccionario, people will say like diccionario, right? And they say E, which is a slightly lower tongue position, which once again, if you're listening and you haven't had that initial basic training, that doesn't mean anything to you, right? But after a day or two of just like looking at some images and playing around with some kind of speech drills, now you're kind of like, oh yeah, my tongue, let me place it there and get better, finer tuning, right? So once you know all the sounds of the language, then the next thing we do is we start training up your ear. And this is what my brother's wife is doing right now. I gave her a song that she liked in Portuguese, and I have her break it down by syllable right? And why do we do this? One of the major things holding people back in learning a language is we're so left brain, rational, theoretical, focused on written language and theory that we confuse written language with spoken language, right? So we're trying to learn things word by word. And if I spoke word by word, it would sound very robotic. Nobody speaks that way. We flow the words together. We cut off syllables. You know, the example I always give in English is if I was like, yo, what you doing tonight? 
you understand me perfectly. But if you're learning English from a textbook and you're expecting me to say, what are you doing tonight? Then you're not going to have any idea what I'm saying when I come at you with what you do tonight, right? But if you train the syllables, that's the reality of speech. The same way music is a sequence of notes, speech, it's just a sequence of syllables. So that's the next thing. We train you how to hear syllables. And a lot of people who do our programs, we have in our program, it's kind of syllable training process. And people who've been studying like Spanish or French for years, and they can read and write, but they can't understand anything in the street. They do this syllable training and kind of recalibrate their hearing for like a week. And then they turn on the radio and they're like, yo, I can understand like way more, like double their comprehension overnight as a result of this type of training. So once you get into syllable world, then we also teach you the melody and the intonation. You know, I mentioned you in Chinese, like shui jiao versus shui jiao. That also applies to every other language. Being able to get that Portuguese, like, okay, the language continue, right? Spanish, you just kind of practice those types of melodic patterns. And there's only so many of them. So you get them kind of inculcated into your ear and into your mouth. And then the next step is basically transcribing things, really kind of hearing every single nuance of the sound of the language. Then what happens is you become a mimic, right? You train your mouth, you train your ear. And this is what I want you to get to. And if you put in like diligent effort, you know, depending on who you are, where you are, you know, within a month's time, you can get to this point where you're a mimic, which is to say, if I give you a word, right, or like a short phrase, and you've never heard it before, like that specific phrase, but you've heard all the syllables before, you've heard all the sounds before, you've heard all the melody, you've heard all the components of it, and you're comfortable and with it, you can now mimic it back to me exactly the way I said it. So I'll give you an example. Listen to what I'm going to say right now, and then try to repeat it back exactly as I say it. Fertigon Razo Wug. Fertigon Razo Wood. All right, great. With the exception of the final sound, you had like 99% correct, right? Now, I'm going to do another thing, similar amount of syllables. I want you to do the same thing. That's pretty good, right? And But you notice, right, you literally could not hear the sounds the second one because I was using sounds that don't exist in English. It's actually from my mom's native language of Edo, right? So your ear and your mouth are just not ready to receive that. However, the first one, Fertigon Razo Wook, even though that means nothing, there's no words in English that better that, it's made up of English sounding sounds, right? So you can mimic in English. So if I come to you and I say, yo, Fertigon Razo Wug is, you know, when a guy climbs a palm tree and hits his head on a, whatever, I can give some kind of meaning to it. And you'll be like, oh, okay. And then you can come back to me tomorrow and use it in a sentence. But you wouldn't be able to use the second one in the sentence because it, it didn't sit in your head. It didn't have anywhere to go, right? So that's the idea is that you become a mimic. And then when you're a mimic, the way you learn is quite simple. You just go into situations, pay attention to what's happening, and then you ask questions, right? You're like, yo, what do you call this? You point to the water. Hey, como se dice eso? What's this thing called? And they're like, una botella de agua. And you're like, una botella de agua. Is that right? See, si, una botella de agua, right? And then the next day, you're trying to get a water. You're like, una botella de agua. And they give you a water. You're like, okay, that worked, right? Boom. And all you're doing is just like exchanging sounds and attaching them to meaning. And this is what I mean by learning by ear. The conventional approach is like, you have to see it written down first. You have to memorize it in flashcards, do it on a test. And then 
you come into conversation and you can't even recognize it because you learned out of context and you can't pick it up because your ears are blocked. Your mouth is still stuck. You can't wrap your mouth around the words. So the conventional way is backwards. We're trying to do the very kind of sophisticated esoteric stuff on day one. But the mimic method is not my invention. This is how all of us learned our first language as children. We started off shaping our mouths and conforming it to the actual sounds and flow of the language. Then from that place, we started to mimic the people around us and live our lives in the language until things came together and we could express ourselves. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single-family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. And connect and relate to other people within that milieu of the language. That's awesome. And then once you get up to a level of conversational proficiency or fluency, how do you retain that as you go on to learn other languages? And you now speak seven languages. How do you retain that level of fluency or conversational proficiency in all of those different languages at the same time? Well, the answer is I don't. So I don't make any effort to retain my abilities what I do is I reactivate them as necessary. So once again, we tend to kind of think about language as a kind of academic thing, like, oh, I don't remember my chemistry equations from high school. But it's more like, uh, like I said, jujitsu or dance, or I didn't play violin for years. You put it back in my hands, I'm going to be rusty. I'm not going to be able to perform the same like Bach partita I did when I was you know, high school. But I can still do basic stuff. And if I sat down for like two weeks and really kind of intensively trained, I can reactivate it. So for example, my brother's wife is Chinese and you know, I lived in China for a while, I was speaking Chinese fluently, but I haven't used it in like a long time though. I, didn't, I don't really interact with as many Chinese people as I used to, but now she's here and I can start speaking with her in it and reactivate it, rejog it back up and, and get my flow back. So the cool thing about muscle memory is that it's way longer, right? And the reason why all of us forgot our high school Spanish and French is because we stored it in our prefrontal cortex or whatever. We stored it in like our short-term working memory. And then as soon as we closed the browser, we erased, we deleted the cache, so to speak. When you learn a muscle skill like riding a bike or like dancing a thing, it's stored in your hard drive. And it does kind of weaken if you don't use it at all over time, but it can come right back to you if you just do the right activities to resurrect it. That's awesome. Well, I also want to ask you a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Sure. And once you discovered and developed the mimic method, you realized you could do it. You realized it was teachable and that other people could do it. How then did you build that into a business? Yeah. So when I, I came up with the idea in Brazil, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And I didn't have any entrepreneurial friends at the time or anyone to kind of 
coach me through it or anything. I had read for our work week, so I knew that was possible. And I wanted to do something like that. But, you know, I didn't quite know what to do. Or actually, more importantly, I didn't quite have, to, have enough courage to really make the effort and put myself out there. So the turning point was a year after I graduated university, I'm in DC, like sleeping on my friend's couch, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I had this friend, this dude I met in Beijing, this dude, this Caribbean dude who I would always see on Facebook. And like, he would always be in a different part of the world in a photo, like always like attractive women and stuff. And I was like, oh man, what's this guy doing with his life? Like, how's he living this? Right. And I had met him a few times and then I hit him up. I was like, hey man, what you up to? He's like, oh, I'm going to Colombia. I'm going to Cali, Colombia at the end of the year. And I was like, hey, if I go down there and meet you, can we live together? He's like, yeah, for sure. In my head, I was like, yo, I don't know what I got to do. All I know is that the only person who's doing the kind of stuff I want to do is going to be here at this time. So your mimic method is not just my language philosophy, it's my life philosophy. You look at the people you admire and who you want to be like, and then you go and immerse yourself with them and then just mimic, right? And then you'll figure it out from there. So I want and live with him. And he didn't like coach me in business or anything like that. You know, he had his own enterprises going on and was traveling location of an entrepreneur. He was the first one I met. But we just have these kind of, you know, we go and get like a little $3 lunch every day and like talk about life for like two hours and then go back. And I made my first course then. And then also I had found Benny Lewis online who is, runs a blog called Fluent in Three Months. And he was the number one language learning blog. So I reached out to him on, by email and I was like, hey, I can write a blog post for you about how to freestyle rap in a language. You'd be interested. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so I had this video of me when I was in Brazil you know, freestyle rapping, like with, with kids in the streets, stuff like that. Wrote an essay kind of introducing and explaining uh, my philosophy and methodology for language learning. Put on his blog, made like a free mini course for like an email sign up for people to try out. And that's how I built my first list. But it's funny, there's always that kind of psychology of having your first sale and you're just kind of like, you don't really value what you put out there. And I remember I was like really hesitant to put like a paid course out. Like people were like, they did the free course. They really loved it. And they're emailing me and like, Hey man, can I buy you? When you can make a course, can I buy a full course or pay you for this and that? And I remember this guy was, Hey, you said you speak Chinese. Like, can you teach me Chinese? And the thing is at the time, you know, I'm half Nigerian dude, the Afro. When they ask you when you're a kid, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was never like, I want to be a Chinese teacher. <laughs> like, it was not like, it wasn't on my radar, you know? So it even occurred to me that like anyone would even conceive of me of like being a Chinese teacher. And this guy was like, please, like, let me just pay you. Like, how much? And I was like, uh, $100? And I remember, like, I had this email to send him back. It took me, like, three hours to send that email because I was so terrified that he would just, like, laugh me out of the place. And then I was like, I was like, fuck it. And, like, press send. And then as soon as I sent it, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. How embarrassing. This is the worst day ever. And then 30 seconds later, I got an email from PayPal. I was like, you just got $100. And I was like, what? <laughs> and like, so that was like my first sale. And I was like, what? And I remember I, I was at a cafe in Colombia, And I was like, I like sprinted back to the apartment where my friend was at. And I was like, yo, some dude just paid my black ass and teaching Chinese for a hundred bucks. Right. <laughs> he was sitting there in the bed and I was expecting him to be like, what? Right. But I'll never forget his reaction. Cause he was like, yep. That's how it begins. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, oh wow. Like, I get it. So that was my first sale. And then, yeah, just kind of building out from there. I joined this group called the Dynamite Circle. Other location on entrepreneurs were listening to the, the podcast by the founders, Tropical MBA. And I was like starting to realize, I was like, oh, wait, like I can actually make a proper business out of this. Like, not just enough. My ambition at the time was just like, oh, I just want to be able to travel and like do the things I want to do. Oh, wait, no, I can actually get wealthy off of this if I do the right things, you know? 
So I went to Thailand for their conference. That was my first time being in a community of people doing a similar thing. And that's what really supercharged me because then I started learning a lot more about like sales and marketing and internet stuff. That's kind of where I started to get more savvy on a business level. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I went to the DCBKK conference in 2019. I think we definitely know some people in common from that circle. And so let me ask you then, once you had that sort of breakthrough from then on building your business, what would you say have been the biggest leverage points in terms of growing and scaling and really taking your business to the next level? Any tips you might have for other entrepreneurs? Yeah. You know, it's been interesting for me because I'm kind of more of a philosopher than I'm a businessman. So I've been a struggle for me kind of figuring out the different ethical things when I first got into it. Like what definitely changed the game was really getting disciplined about copywriting. And, you know, obviously I'm a language guy and it's funny, like looking at my original kind of sales videos, I was like super technical. I'm like, I had terms like phonetic infrastructure. <laughs> I'm like, you have to apply the phonetic infrastructure to, and it was just like, it's like, oh my God, uh, you know, just terrible sales kind of language. So I had my DC, my friends from Diamond Circle were like, oh, copywriting, not just kind of reading books on the subject, but also getting processes and doing like a more disciplined process of getting better and better at that positioning and sales and all that kind of stuff. So of course, there's a thousand different techniques for how you actually do a sales presentation, but just understanding the basic psychology of persuasion and how to translate that into language, how to go through a process you know, of research and culling through surveys and language from prospects and customers to craft a letter. At the end of the day, it's just people being in the mind of trusting that what you're going to give them is, is worth the sacrifice of the money. So that was a big turning point. But it's also like a dark side to that because I think you can get kind of drunk with the power of copywriting, especially nowadays with like internet marketing and you like start figuring out the marketing systems like Facebook ads and all that kind of stuff. I never got too deep into that, but I had my own channels that were working. But I found over the years that the emphasis on like business and specifically like sales and growth started to pull me away from the spirit of things. I didn't learn these languages and music and travel and explore with the mind of, oh, I got to make money. Like I did it because I just intrinsically was super motivated to just discover the world and master skills and whatnot. So I started to, without realizing it, move away from that. And I think the spirit of the company suffered and me personally slowly became demotivated by it all. So it's only been like in recent times, I started to kind of reorganize stuff. And if you go to my site at this current moment, you can't buy anything. I stopped selling courses. And now I'm kind of going back to the basics and I'm working in coaching context. And because I think it's lots of people buy online courses, but the sad truth is that the majority of people don't actually do them and finish them and get the results that you promise. And even if you make a really good program, people, most purchasing nowadays, just impulse purchase, right? So that kind of just slowly kind of drained my soul and motivation over time. Whereas in a coaching context, you know, it's not initially super scalable or passive and all those kind of sexy words, but it's just working with people and talking to people on a daily basis and seeing them actually get the results and apply it to their lives. A lot of people I work with are living in a country or they have like a romantic partner who speaks a language they want to connect with. So I've been kind of focusing on that more. The coaching and community is I've had my business run. I'm definitely going to be doing more business stuff in the future, but 
I'm starting to kind of hunker down on what my true kind of calling is, which is education. Like fundamentally, I'm a teacher. My dad was a teacher. As you can see, I love not just learning stuff, but I really love mastering the art of like guiding a person's mind and heart through a transformation to do something that they could not do before. So right now I'm kind of going back to the basics and mastering that skill before I worry too much about turning the buck off of it. That's awesome, man. I love that. I also want to talk a bit about your travel journey. Mm. You mentioned that you were super passionate and interested in traveling since a very young age. Now that you are location independent and you can travel and live where you choose, COVID-19 notwithstanding, let's just, let's just say pre-COVID-19 era, how do you structure your ideal lifestyle? What is your travel cadence? How do you decide where to go, how long to stay, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, the way I freestyled earlier, it was pretty, it was like a microcosm for my life. <laughs> there, was no, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Like it just, well, there was, there was rhyme and reason, but no plan to rhyme or reason. So I guess earlier on, like the only kind of rule was like, don't be cold. <laughs> and then I would just kind of go with, you know, I had some friends going here. Oh, let's check this out. And, you know, I got really into travel hacking and earlier on too. So flying around at no cost was also an option. So I traveled a lot more in the beginning, like in my 20s and stuff like that. Uh, recently, I've been slowing down a lot more. I've spent a lot more time in Portugal, spent a lot of time with family. So I was back in the US multiple times, help out my parents and stuff like that. Yeah. So back in the day, I guess what drove my travel decisions was just more kind of discovering a new place at the seasonal right time. And if I had other kind of homies from my entrepreneurial you know, travel community, going someplace to hang out. Before I started getting more into business stuff, it was more like learning a language. So once again, like I said, I don't care about the language, but the people. I would just find myself very curious about a group of people. You know, it's the Chinese and the Brazilians. After that, I wanted to learn French. So I was in Canada for a while in Quebec and like got deep in the scene there and like would make lots of friends. And then something would happen. I'm like, oh, what's going on in Germany? So it was very just kind of following a random kind of curiosity or meeting somebody. Actually, I, got, I met a German girl in Vietnam and then we started dating. And I was like, all right, I'm going to learn your language. You know, I went to Germany, right? So there was no kind of predetermined structure to it. But the allure of travel isn't as um, strong for me as it was when I was younger. Now I'm looking more like to, I'm, I'm looking more like relationships and, and all that kind of stuff. So now my travel is purely based on, especially now in COVID, you can't, I can't go, I, I'm a big extrovert. I like parties and like big stuff and that's not an option anymore so this year in 2021 i'm here in silvish with my brother because i wanted to get more intimate with him and get like closer bond with him and his wife and whatnot so now my 2021 travel plan is purely based on selecting individuals with whom i want to deepen my relationship with and then just going to them and doing adventures with them helping them with their projects so it's less about the uh, environment and more about the people that's awesome, man. Well, you've definitely had some epic travel experiences and been in some amazing places, some of which are on your YouTube channel, one of which that I wanted to ask you about, because I know you're a hip hop guy and you sort of assess the hip hop culture of the different places you go. And I do the same thing. But you participated in a hip hop cypher in Rio in Brazilian Portuguese. Can you share that story and talk about how that came about? So like I said, I was in Brazil. Brazilian music, that was one of the main things I was after. And so I was going to like percussion groups and different concerts and shows and workshops. But one of the best things I had found there was one day I was walking home late at night on like a Tuesday. 
and just like took a turn, like, oh, I'll just walk this way today. And then I started hearing this noise off in the distance. I'm like, what is that? And then I go and I go to this park and there's all these like young people, teens until their twenties, stuff like that. Maybe like 50 of them. And they had, you know, what they call it, uh, cajones, those little wood boxes that you're like making, be like, making beats and guitars. And then these Brazilian dudes and girls are just freestyling, right? And I was like, oh, no way. Like, you know, it's my first time finding people freestyle rap in a different country. And I come up and I'm listening to them. And this is before I came up with Method too, so this all kind of weaves into it. And I'm like, dude, this guy's like sick. And I was like, oh, that's not a, you know, when you go to freestyle raps in America, like if anyone's saying something that's too good, but you can tell where it's a, it's a pre-written, you know what I mean? Which is no fun. You know what I mean? Like he just, all right, this guy's pre-written. So I'm like, okay, this is too good. It's obviously pre-written. But then he would like make some kind of situational comment, like, and then my girl's blue shirt off the blah, but like, oh snap, this is a freestyle. <laughs> and I'm like, yo. And uh, it really changed me a lot, like about hip hop, because in America, hip hop was so corrupt with these kind of ego trappings of I'm better than you, and, and I got all the girls, and I got a gun, I'm gonna shoot you. Like, it's basically the same kind of themes. And that's how I freestyled back then, because that's all I knew, right? I'm like, yeah, that's, I didn't know anything about that stuff, but I was like, yo, I'm the man. <laughs> and like, but these guys were like making like deep poetry and like, political commentary i remember they had diselected an election they just elected this kind of clown type figure and named chiridika and they're like i live in a country that elected chiridika and i'm like yo this guy's making like skating political commentary he's like 18 and anyways so i tried to jump in the cypher i was like oh how hard this could this be in portuguese and then i just sucked and people are looking at me like yo dude what the fuck you doing coming in here that weak ass <laughs> weak ass rhymes so then i went back and i was like all right i gotta get this going so i started writing my own raps for the first time in portuguese and like trying to get like, you know, teach myself the basics and get good. And then I came back in there and I'd freestyle with them again. My weekly ritual was coming out there and I got to meet a lot of the people there. Really cool community, very conscious. And that's what I found when I go to, at least in Latin America, the hip hop communities there are like way more conscious. The freestyle culture is way more pure in terms of people are legit freestyling and they're trying to get better at it. Yeah, it's great. And, and once again, it also helped my language because the thing is, when you're trying to freestyle in a language and like push your mind to the limit, it's hard to speak the language as it is. You try to freestyle, your brain's just like taxed, but then you come out of it and I'd be speaking Portuguese to people and it was just like, oh, wow, it's way easier to speak Portuguese than to rap it. It was having a positive effect on my speaking in general as well. That's amazing, man. And I know another place you spent a lot of time in Colombia and you mentioned that in Cali, you also were able to connect with the hip hop community there. And I've spent a couple months in Colombia, but they were all in Bogota and Medellin and Cartagena. So I've never been to Cali, but I can tell you that hip hop is just so central in terms of in Bogota and in Medellin. It was just amazing. And I would love to hear your experience in Colombia in general and Cali in particular. Yeah, yeah. Colombia is great. And I went there too because my friend was like, oh yeah, Colombia is like similar to Brazil. It's very ethnically diverse, lots of African influence and people, you know, have slaves are brought there as well. So certain parts of Colombia are just like straight up like Africa. And so I was interested and curious in that. And like, the, and of course the music was fantastic. And yeah, and all these places too, it's not only the music, like the music itself is great. What really, I really appreciate is how wide of a section of the population participates in it. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the U.S., we have our musicians and they get up on stage and the rest of us like shut the fuck up and watch. You know what I mean? And we're like good enough to participate kind of thing. And people have a lot of, you know, shame and shyness about their musical ability. Whereas in like a Brazil or Colombia, everyone's in on the cypher, right? Everyone's like clapping and singing and jumping in and dancing. 
And as a result, you know, everyone's way higher skill because everyone's practicing. And I remember I went to this, what was it called? Like La Competición de los Cholos. I forgot what it was. Like Cholula. There's like some snack there called like Cholu something. I forget what it's called, but it was like the Battle of the Cholula or something. And what they would do is like a freestyle battle. It was a freestyle competition. And these kids would be competing. And like, you know, people get in their 20s and stuff. But I remember this one kid who was like 16 or actually, I think he was like 15. And they would give you this thing like, okay, grab a random object out of this bag and then grab a random like topic out of this bag. And then you, as soon as you grab them, they drop the beat and you got 60 seconds to rap about them together. Right. And this kid had brought out in the bag of uh, objects, he brought out like a little lizard toy, like a little like, like, like toy lizard, like plastic lizard. And then the other bag, the topic was the war for petroleum. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and like, it's like the global war for petroleum. And then all of a sudden, like, he didn't have time to think. He's like, drop the beat. And he's like, bueno, la, 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 la. And this 15-year-old kid starts telling this, like, metaphorical story about the imperial power's hunger for petroleum was, like, Godzilla crushing the city. And just, like, telling the story and, like, making all these, like, allusions to Bush-era politics and petrodollars and people dying. But it's, it's, like, Godzilla's foot stomping out the cars. And I was just, yo, what is going on? It's completely next level. Actually, the funniest part about that thing was everyone was kind of pissed off because the rules were you only had 60 seconds. And the freestyle, it takes 60 seconds to really get warmed up, right? You want to see a much longer thing. And there's this one guy in the audience who was kind of drunk the whole time. And every single session, he'd, Cinco minutos! <laughs> and like, would just like scream out, like, make it a five-minute round. And then everyone would laugh. And then at one point, kind of intermission, they're like, okay, who wants to come up and freestyle? And then they're like, Cinco minutos! And they, they called that guy up to do it. He's just like a joker, complete imbecile, kind of drunk. And you weren't expecting much from him. And then he dropped the beat. Yo, my man Cinco Minutos just killed the beat. And he was doing it in this weird hardcore rock thing. He's blah, 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 blah. But it was like really good. And everyone just like standing ovation on it. So yeah, that's for me, man. Like I said, what I really kind of preach and encourage in my stuff is that the music is for everybody. The way music has been for a time eternal up until recently was not turn on Spotify and listen to somebody in silence. It was, yo, all of us gather around the campfire with the drums and the Irish fiddle. And we're just dancing and singing and rapping and playing together. So for me, like that experience is what I'm really, what I'm really trying to find and also create in the places I go to. That's amazing. Let me ask you one more question, and then we'll move yeah. into the lightning round and wrap this up. Sure. When you reflect back on all the travel that you've done and all the places that you've been and the people that you've met, at this point in your life, what does travel mean to you? Why do you travel? What do you get out of it? Yeah, you know, it's about expanding your horizons. It's two things. It's like expanding your frame of reference and experience and seeing how people do things differently and think differently and act differently, feel differently. So that's one end of it. It's just expanding horizon, gathering more and more perspectives. But then the other end of it is using that to see what the universal theme is. Like what's the thread? What really makes human beings human beings and ties it all together? What's the essence of it all? And I guess the combination of that for me personally as a creator, you know, the essence of creativity is is just remixing what's already out there, you know? So for me, I travel to gather the raw materials to really create whatever it is my contribution to this human experiment is, you know what I'm saying? 
So that's what it is for me. It's kind of like what, tra- travel is just about you enjoy the experiences and you meet people and, and learn stuff, but it's just about kind of getting coloring in more of the coloring book of, of humanity. That's amazing, man. What a great answer. All right. At this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? I think so. Let's do it. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years you'd most recommend people check out? Just Listen by uh, Daniel Goldman. Awesome. Who is one person currently alive today that you've never met that you would most like to have dinner with? Just you and that person, one-on-one dinner and conversation. Brene Brown, because I'm reading her book at this moment and I'm very captivated by what she's saying. Nice. All right, knowing everything that you know now, if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Idelsa? I'd say, tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Of all the places that you've been in the world up to this point, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you'd most recommend people check out? Rio de Janeiro, number one. Montreal, Canada, number two, but only in the summer when it's warm. And number three would be Vietnam in general. Awesome. Really good picks. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places that you've never been that are the highest on your list you would most love to see right now. Yeah, for sure. A village in Nigeria, not a city, but a village in Nigeria. I've been to Istanbul, but I want to go deeper into Turkey. That's Turkish culture. And also Senegal. You mentioned earlier Senegal and and just French West Africa in general. That's amazing, man. What a great pick. Yeah, I spent a month in Dakar in Senegal. It is now one of my favorite cities in the world. I rank it up with any other global cities that I've ever been to. Reminded Mm -hmm. me a lot of Rio de Janeiro in in certain ways in terms of the outdoor exercise and fitness culture Mm -hmm. and just how delightful the people are there. I mean, it just absolutely won my heart, especially because you love Rio. I think you're really going to love Dakar. Idausa, we've now come to the most important part of the interview. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most important question where I'm now going to ask you your top five hip-hop MCs of all time. And actually, before you answer that and before you drop the five, can you just say a little bit about what hip-hop means to you and what you love about the art form of hip-hop in particular? Yeah, for sure. Hip-hop has a a very complicated history with me. It was a singular music I listened to outside of classical music growing up as a kid, right? And then I had this kind of disillusionment with hip hop when I started to travel. And I realized how a lot of like the negative elements of the culture and the, the negative influence it has is, but then rediscovering it, like I said, in Brazil and these other places and the, the true heart of it, the expression and the democracy element of like democratic element of it and the rebellious nature and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's the hip hop art form, the genre. But for me specifically, the style like rap as distinct from singing, right? Using language, which is my thing, and the rhythmicality of it and the rhyme and poetry and motion, the freestyle and expression, I mean, it really is a high art form in my mind. So I kind of make a distinction between the two in terms of rap and hip hop. And I actually encourage people to put rap in more things, like the actual art form of the style of rapping into more things. But of course, the birthplace of that fundamentally in their modern culture is hip hop. And my answer now to your top five, if you want me to jump into that now, I'm going to try to expand people's horizons because now 
I had my top five when I was a kid and it was all American. And now I got a global perspective and I'm it's different rappers that I'm sure people haven't heard about that I encourage to check out. So growing up as a kid, I was exclusively like Jay-Z was always my number one guy. So I basically like memorized this all like his old first five albums. But I won't give a ranking here. I'm just going to list all people because <laughs> it's hard for me to, to rank them all. But yeah, Jay-Z, I used to hate Nas. And then I started getting deep into Nas as well. So in terms of the classics, Jay-Z and Nas, you know, in terms of the American, that was my era. And then expanding it globally, though, Brazil, I got really deep into hip hop culture in Brazil. So I really encourage people to check out uh, the poetry of uh, Emicida. Emicida is uh, great. And also Criolo. And then also in the French realm, French are the other great hip hop country and the classic French hip hop that every Everyone in France, even if you're not a hip hop fan, everyone has respect for this man, and he's a, he's a legend. Is a MC Solar S O L A A R, just beautiful French poetry and just jazz mellow beats. And MC Solar, I highly encourage people to check out his first album. That's amazing. And can you spell the names of the previous two as well? Oh, for sure. Emicida, E M I C I D A, and then Criolo is C R I O L O. And his second album is, is, a, is 2012 is another classic. Amazing. Adelsa, that was so awesome, man. What a great conversation. I want you to let folks know at this point how they can find you, follow you on social media, contact you, come into your world and check out your content. Yeah, for sure. Just go to mimicmethod.com, M-I-M-I-C-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. And you can sign up for my mailing list there and like I said, we can't buy stuff at this present moment, but there will be opportunities in the near future if you update our list. And then also you can follow on YouTube, Mimic Method. I'll be releasing a lot of our content that we used to charge for for free on YouTube in the coming months. So follow me there. And also you have a bunch of amazing videos that are already on YouTube, including mm-hmm. you rapping in a bunch of different languages and also a bunch of really substantive, basically course modules. I mean, I was watching some of those videos and it was incredibly substantive how much I learned just from watching them about language learning. And then you have these other really remarkable videos where you're taking songs. You'll take a song from Brazil and you'll just break down all the different aspects of the song. So it's super substantive and interesting content. So we're going to link up all of that in the show notes, your YouTube channel, your website and everything else where people can go and connect with you and grab some of that free content. And that's all going to be in one place at themaverickshow.com. Just go to the show notes for this episode. Idao, so this was amazing, brother. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. It was great. Good time flowing. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks and you can get your first one for free. 
at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.